0: Afternoon. Please feel free to sit comfortably during this talk or move when you feel you have to move. Although it might seem or feel that way in the beginning, it is not the aim of this practice to create physical discomfort. You actually don't need that practice for that, just uh, age. And as you go along in your aging, I can very well guarantee that discomfort will appear. Ask your elders. We might ask ourselves, what is it that a practice like Zen practice, like formal Zen practice, can contribute to the way we live our lives? And it might seem quite distant from everyday living what we do here in the group setting in this zazenkai or during session the longer retreats or living during kesei at a monastery or during seichu at the zen center, it seems to have very little to do with everyday life, yet there must be something behind that. And it's important that we develop a very clear understanding where formal practice fits into this overall living situation that we want to create for ourselves as human beings. We feel at times when we live in what we call the world, that there is always strife, there is conflict, dissatisfaction, the absence of peace of mind, or the absence of healthy kind of relationships. And that is a very good motivation to come to a place like a Zen center, and to begin to look into the underlying mechanics, the underlying principles, and the underlying situation of what we call the human condition. And when we sit here in this formal context, we also encounter our physical limitations, limitations related to physical limitations. When our knees don't bend anymore, they just don't bend anymore. When certain parts of our bodies begin to ache, that is what they are doing. But also the limitations and the fragility of what we call being alive. Recently at New York Zendo, during the last a weekend session I said to one of the participants something that uh, struck probably me more than the person and it had to do with the breathing in the meditation the breathing and the paying attention during susokan the counting of the breath or the following of the breath or whatever successive kind of approach we take to making the breath an entrance To this to what is and what I said is when you breathe when you exhale do it with presence and give it the attention that you would give to something on which your life depends breathe as if your life depends on it and of course What a strange thing to say because literally our lives depend on us breathing. So recognizing the breath as the fundamental activity of the Dharma, of expansion and contraction of a non-dual but still Differentiated activity. It's quite important. When we just breathe in a mechanical way, we forget about how fragile our existence is. But paying attention to it and being present with the breath allows us to connect to that and to develop a gratitude for the fact that there's another breath. Yet, I'm still here. And if we examine that very carefully, at some point we might detect where fear sits. What if the next breath doesn't come? Quite interesting, and quite important to do that. The formal practice in which we engage can be seen as a very special setup in which we don't have to be occupied with thinking who will make the next meal, what will be served in a longer context where there will be meals served, where the time is being kept for you, where you don't have to carry a watch or be concerned about what's next because you just follow the signals as they come. It is a setup that has specific conditions that allow us to give up some of the things that we like to track or have to track in the life that we call the life in the world. Zen practitioners and Zen teachers in ancient China, after they were given transmission or after they were sent away by their teacher to go on Angya, to go on pilgrimage, They went around all the country to meet other teachers, to meet others who have engaged in this practice for a long time. And again, that might be another formal setup where there is yet another angle from which our human condition is illuminated and examined. And now we find ourselves here in the 21st century, in the United States of America, in a society that is deeply divided in terms of political thinking, in terms of liberal or conservative streams, in terms of racism and all kinds of what we would call maybe ills of society. Yet we all have to also cope with a much more modern type of slavery, the slavery of the economy, economic dependence on giving our time for money to this or that kind of work. Quite a challenge to come from such a place and to go to the monastery or to the Zen center can be a relief for a short time, but we cannot allow it to become disconnected from what we have to face in our daily lives. As we have heard often from Joshu Roshi, whose picture is here on the Butsudan during this retreat, he always spoke about completeness, the complete self, kanzen na and the incomplete self, fukanzen na And that the complete self is a self that does not leave anything out. It embraces everything including those who are responsible for some of these ills of society. And our practice here helps us to even make relationship with those who might be regarded as deplorables. And as Martin Luther King said, We cannot hope to exert any kind of positive influence on others as long as we look down at them. It's very important to realize. And this includes parts of ourselves that we don't like so much. We cannot look down at these parts or stuff them away into a deep recess of our psyche or our being and just hope that they will stay there. No, we have to face them because in the end, they are a mirror of ourselves. In the process of recognizing completeness, we have to make relationships even with those deplorable parts of our own psyche, character, society, existence. So it's a very, very big picture we're looking at here. One of the important things also that I see as a message emerging here in the 21st century brought by Buddhism's appearance in the Western society is that we are working on realizing the true teachings of Mahayana. Mahayana is the great vehicle. The great vehicle that has a seat for each and every sentient being. For each and every human being. From the worst of the worst acting to the most saintly, all of them. But also, that means for our practice here, we are finding new ways, more inclusive ways that move this practice from being a strongly monastic oriented practice into something that anyone living in society and having to exist in a society where economics play an important part, can be engaged in. Because ultimately the bringing together of the wisdom and the insight that we gain, the little specks of light, the little sparks that our practice presents us with when we completely forget the self, it is that what we have to bring out into being an employer, into being an employee, into being a person in a relationship, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a grandparent, a friend, an aunt, whatever. But we have to bring it into these relationships that then ultimately will help us as a whole of humanity to collectively become more mature, become more compassionate, become more awake. In the end, when I look at it, at this utopian Mahayana society, it is yet the greatest challenge that is facing us But then again, from the point of view of a Zen practitioner, all our ancestral teachers, our ancestral human beings, our parents, their parents, and back and back and back generations, they always face the same thing that we are facing. This, now, and what we can bring to it is a more and more strengthened sense of bodhicitta, bodaishin in Japanese. The consciousness and the awareness of working towards awakening, of working towards opening, working towards no self, and of not just theoretically or clinically arriving at that through the practice in a monastery, but to also have the vow to fully apply it and use it, employ it in what we call the world and our worldly endeavors. The more we look at it from that point of view, the closer we get to completeness and to inclusion, and to the feeling and the arrival at peace of mind. Ultimately, there is no possibility to compartmentalize. After all, you have one life and this is it. Let's remove the compartments, break down the barriers, and let it all flow together into one strong current that sweeps away doubt, fear, and hesitation. One breath at a time in the formal practice. One breath at a time in the world, making a relationship over and over again.